Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. So welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast, where each week I am joined by some of the world's most renowned faces in the entertainment industry, on the sports field, corporate leaders, and inspirational thought leaders around the world, each sharing their own truths and personal journeys. Today, we have none other than Cheza and Grant Denyer. Cheza is a TV producer, YouTube blogger, podcast host, mother, wife, and manager to a husband, Grant, who is a man of many talents. From 2018 gold logging winner to motor racing driver to Guinness World Record holder, and most importantly, a husband and father. His TV career has spanned two decades, which has made him one of Australia's most loved radio and television presenters, and he's hosted nearly every big international TV format, Australia's Got Talent, hosting the second season of Dancing with the Stars, and a special primetime series of the much-loved Family Feud. Firstly, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks for having us. I really appreciate it. We've been uh, watching your wonderful work uh, from afar for quite some time now, mate. So we're very impressed with what you've done with this campaign. It's it's spectacular. Well, thank you. And you know what? To come on with you guys, it's been four years since caught up. And um, I was actually a bit nervous because I was like, there's, there's one reason I called it imperfectly perfect because I'm still bloody imperfect at doing things. And Grant, I was reading re- recently, <laughs> you struggle or you did with perfectionism. So I was like, this was a guy that turned up to interview celebrities with garage band and a laptop and just pressed play and was like, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for getting involved because nobody knew who I was. I reached out to Cheryl first because I'd read your story, Grant, and you believed in what I was saying to you. And I know when you're in the public eye and you guys have been in for a long time now, you you must get inundated. So thank you, because it was the first time when you came on, Grant, and your image was released. I actually saw how powerful this was and it saved lives. So my question would be to you, Cheryl, is what did you think when a random guy just reached out to you about <laughs> this premise? Do you know what? I I get a lot of emails from, from people all the time asking us to do things. And I don't know, something you had in your email just showed how much heart you had behind this campaign. And it was kind of on par with what we were talking about and doing at at that time. So it really did fit. Um, but I think the passion that you showed and when I spoke to you and I just, you had it coming out of every single pore, you were going to take this to the next level and yeah, I just wanted to help you as much as I could. And and that's, you know, kind of how it all started. It did. And thank you for that. And then I rocked up at the racing car to meet Grant. And at first it was so funny because you must have thought, who's this guy with the camera? Is he paparazzi? Like, who is he? <laughs> <laughs> well, it felt weird because it was, a, we only had a little window because we live in the country yeah. and, you know, and you, you were prepared to meet us. And I was racing cars in Sydney at that point. So, and normally your, your headspace is you're a little bit hectic. You're nervous about racing. You know, cars are expensive if you crash them and you get it wrong. And if you're not in the right headspace. Um, and I, I wanted to give you, you know, the time that you did, deserved, but I was, you know, I was only sort of fresh to the campaign and, 
and and knowing that you just needed you know some vulnerability you know and that's for someone who's spent their entire life pretending to be uh, a perfect person you know that's a that's a hard thing to find um you know i've i've in growing up in a media career you end up trying to be everything to everyone right you 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 try and make yourself the most hireable person the most you know who's the kind of person someone wants to see on screen? So you make yourself an accumulation of different personality types to try and to be everything to everyone. And then also coming up, you you sort of watch other professionals and you go, well, I kind of like how that person goes about their life. Oh, I like how that person goes about their life. And then you tend to be the sum of all of those things that you've learned. Um, I've never learned to just be comfortable in my own skin. It's only something that I've just started doing, you know, and you were the first person that ever came along and asked me to do that. So it was not a muscle that was very um, well used for me. So, but it was the start of something beautiful, starting to something to learn um, how I really do tick, um, and that it's okay to not bloody be perfect all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, what was because your podcast? I've listened to several episodes, and I'll talk about it a little bit later on. But the reason why I was saying when I was coming on, you've done so much and you are both so open about every single thing. Being in the public eye, obviously, there's a lot of tabloids, all that kind of stuff. But when you did have that picture taken and you did openly start speaking and everybody knows of you as the happy guy, what was the response like on, on both ends? Well, I think the, I think before that, Grant had, uh, just before, you reached out. I think Grant had got up and and you accepted, if I remember, the gold Logie and you spoke about the dark times. And I mm. think that shocked the shit out of everybody because I think that they were expecting Grant was going to get up there, have some smug, smart-ass response, um, but it meant so much more and he ju- he's just um, – he's – beautiful personality just shone out you know at that moment and I think that that also probably scared Grant a bit and and people weren't quite sure how to take that um you know they were they were were shocked so then when your photo came out and it was kind of like a it was really cementing that new found vulnerability in Grant and that new honesty I think people really started to stand up and and respect that and definitely all the comments that we had were that the photos were so powerful and were so moving that people felt they wanted to share their stories with us um and that was a beautiful gift and you know you started that because that those photos they were magnificent i've never been photographed that way before you know everything i've ever done you know when you're making um, game shows or, or, or big formats of, you know, whether it be Australia's Got Talent or whatever, you know, you're dialing the smile up to 11. Um, everything's fantastic. You're selling a high vibe. You know, your job, your business is to go big and bright. Um, so I've spent my life sort of doing that and watching the response from the photos that you'd taken where, you know, that was a scary thing because you can't thought, well, I don't want people to think that I'm cracking and falling apart. You know, I still want to be hireable. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to look like, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who's falling apart. I want to, I still want to be considered, you know, in our industry, a reliable, a guy with good work ethic um, will always turn up and do a, a you know, a thousand percent. 
Um, but seeing the response to your photos was like um, I connected with people in a different way. And I got a level of respect that I never had before because I was just a, a bloody, I was a shoe salesman. I was a, I was a car salesman effectively. Um, and then just letting, letting people peer behind the curtain. Um, I think I didn't do it to, to win any praise or to attract any attention, but I think people realized the human inside of you. And then I realized sometimes you don't need to sell anything. You just need to be you. And I didn't know that before. So that's, that's, that was the first time I'd ever realized that. Wow. So powerful. Do you think, so we've just been doing this collaborative project called pay forward notes to my younger self. If you could tell something to your younger self, if it came to mental health or wellbeing and holding it all in, what would you tell yourself now? if it's taken you years to come forward and step forward. I mean, especially in an industry where, as you said, I get asked that question when I've been fortunate enough to be interviewed. Was it hard to get people in the public eye to open up? And I said, you know what? It was on one aspect. And then the others, there were certain people who were just like, I can't live a lie no more. It's hard work behind the scenes. Yeah, Mm. it really is. And you came to us in the height of um, social media in in, in that in, in a, a state of global perfectionism where everyone was selling their best versions of themselves. Um, no one was discussing things that hurt or were uncomfortable or embarrassing or shameful. I'd come through a period where I'd made some mistakes. You know, I'd had some big things happen where I'd, you know, I'd broken my back and we'd had, we had some, some issues with pain medication and, and getting off those. And you know, I'd made a ton of mistakes in, in my life. I'd only ever seen mistakes as, as something to be, um, ashamed about. Uh, so there was, there was a lot of shame with making errors for me. Um, and, and what I, what I come to realize as I sort of came into a new version of myself is every one of those mistakes that I made weren't, weren't something to be ashamed of, but they were just little course corrections that were, okay, maybe I was going down the wrong path. And so I run, you know, I, I make a mistake and then I put myself back on track. You know, there are the wonderful gifts of life. They are not tragedies, you know, they're not, you know, I, I, I think I released a lot of the shame, you know, when I could start to open up about those many, many things that I'd done wrong, you know, in my life. Um, yeah. And, and I think seeing a, a photo of me not photographed like how I would normally be photographed was sort of like a green light to just let it all out. I, I make mistakes all the time. Um, I always have and a bit, um, a bit of a calamity. So I can't say that, you know, I was very good at hiding them. My mum calls her chaos. Yeah. That's a nickname (laughs) for her daughter-in-law. Yeah. That gives you an idea. (laughs) But, um, I, I definitely, if I had to tell my younger self something, it would be don't sweat the small stuff because, in my younger years, you know, you tried to make everything line up and life just doesn't go that way. So I've been through some fairly big, sometimes horrific, um, you know, experiences, but every single one of those things, I can take away some wisdom with me. And looking back now at what I used to worry about, really, it, it you know, it's ridiculous to to sweat the small stuff. That's what I would say. And I tell my kids that too. Equally, you've got self-stories with Grant breaking your back and speaking openly about the medication, um, 
postnatal anxiety and then talking about ADHD with your daughter. How is a couple for anybody out there? This is personal experience. Have you been able to maneuver and go through those challenges as a couple and then on an external? So Cheryl watching Grant go through it and then Grant, obviously we have this masculinity. We want to protect, we want to serve our families. How have you managed through those areas together? Very, very haphazardly at the start. <laughs> well, yeah, our, our relationship started. It was forbidden love. Uh, I was in a relationship. Shezzy was married. So it was naughty from the beginning. Well, uh, was it, the marriage was ending. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it had ended. So I have to, you know, stipulate that, which we haven't done before very well. But no, it wasn't. But and we got together and then Grant broke his back and we. So you, she became carer straight away, you know, way too early in a in, a, in an evolving relationship where you're trying to figure out each other's feelings and how do I feel about you? What should we do with this relationship? Bang. She's straight into carer mode now. So she's a nurse and that. You know, that's not a dynamic that you'd, you'd kind of wish on anybody because it's a long four-month painful recovery where, you know, the medications make you crazy. The things that I, I kind of I said and, and, and did to, to shares in that period, I'm still mortified about. Um, but, you know, that, they... but that... But that kind of enmeshed us in this very unhealthy codependent relationship, mm. um, which we, you know, it took us years to navigate how to get out of that. Um, and so that was not a great start. <laughs> so we kind of, we, we then had to do lots of counseling and lots of work on trying to, um, separate our identities because I felt like if I wasn't doing everything for Grant, now when I say everything, that means, you know, if we're, if we're traveling, I have to carry all the suitcases, you know, if he's feeling unwell, I have to carry him. I have to, you know, but. Uh, it was all about, you know, protecting him. And then Grant obviously lost, you know, a lot of his confidence if I, you know, wasn't around. And it was, it was, it was bad. It was survival, you know, when we needed to, but we had to spend a lot of time trying to work on our own identities. Um, we still kind of fall into those, you know, codependent moments um, from time to time, but you know, from there then and then I had the, you know, postnatal anxiety. Well, after that I had a post-traumatic stress disorder, um, you know, that I was diagnosed with, which Grant, you know, kind of had to experience from the other side, not knowing and not having any idea what was going on. Yeah, that was sort of as a byproduct of her having to, you know, go through all those stages of my recovery and the trauma that I was inflicting on her you know, as a patient who's going through those, those pain med situations, you know, that, that caused her a lot of PTSD. So that only really came to the surface, you know, a a few years later. Um, So that was, that was sort of a a rebound effect of that period that we, we also had to cope with. And yeah, it was, it was another sort of tough bump in, you know, a long road. We've had a lot of tough, we've had some shit go down, brother. (laughs) I I will say people do need to check out your podcast. It's all true because I've been listening to some of those episodes and you don't hold back. And one that really stood out to me, to be honest with you, which I'd just like to touch upon, is the one with Dr. Matthew Burke, it was. Mm. And he explained about the trauma trapped in our bodies, which is, again, what you're talking about. You had to work through it separate. And then you were talking recently about, obviously, a daughter sailor with ADHD and then furthermore to yourself. How was parents through working through your own 
was it easier to be able to look at it? Because I know, and I quote you saying, it's like your superpower now because you know the triggers and that. How was it dealing yeah. from parents? Well, when Sailor was first diagnosed, I I felt like I had failed. I felt like maybe I should have you know, fixed myself way back, you know, because I always kind of suspected that I was ADHD and I just didn't understand it. And, and the, you know, the, um, the advice was to trial her on stimulant medication. And as a parent, I just, I, I really struggled with that. Um, and that I said to Grant, you know, I can't put my daughter on stimulant medication if I haven't tried it myself. This is not, you know, this is not right. Like most parents, we had an issue with the stigma of putting a kid, you know, on. It just didn't seem, you know, right. I yeah. just felt like I was poisoning her and it, um, you know, I guess I had to very quickly step up and and I had to, you know, look look at myself and very honestly look at my shortcomings and what I had to work on um, before I could start to help her. And that's kind of, you know, what I did. Um, and it was a game changer. It absolutely yeah. was a game changer. It improved our relationship like you would not believe. You know, it sort of helped untangle some of that codependency because the one thing someone with ADHD does, they hyper-focus and they hyper-focus on things that they love and things that they enjoy doing. So I became her hyper-focus, you know, through that whole um, healing process and having to look after me. And and so it, it was it was good for her to be able to sort of get her own brain back. And to understand that hyper-focus mentality, you mm-hmm. know, why do I get obsessed with, you know, with doing this stuff and, um, and you know, I'm still not perfect, but in knowing that, she turns up places on time now, which is nice. I do. That was, that's one of the nice benefits <laughs> of being diagnosed with ADHD is she doesn't speed for the yeah, first time in her life. Because I was always late. And she and turns I, up early. Yeah. And I and I'm easier on myself as well. Because I yeah. think I think I used to probably try to do too much. Well, I still do too much try to do too much. But some days I say, you know what? It's not gonna happen today. I'm tired. Therefore, my ADHD is right at the forefront. And I just need to take that into consideration and I need to be a bit gentler on myself. And that, you know, as a parent is is very powerful in being able to show that to your kids. The one thing I've noticed about myself is uh, a lot of negative self-talk, like quite horrific self-talk. Um, I'm not good enough. Of course, no one loves me. Why would I? Oh, this is happening. Of course, this is happening because, you know, this always happens to me. Like that can be a, a, a nasty trap to fall into. And it's not something I want my children to grow up knowing. Mm. So I had to become aware how savage my my own self-talk was to try and rewire that and be a little bit kinder in my own brain to then ensure that my kids um, don't do the same. Because, you know, the one thing you want to be is we know that trauma can be generational and we can also adopt, you know, we have trauma in our DNA. You don't want, you want the trauma to stop with you. You don't want that to be passing yeah. on subconsciously to your children. So you have to become aware of your own, your own fuck ups and failings and flaws um, to ensure it, the, it stops with you. And mm. we've, we've tried to do that audit regularly. Like it's not, you do it once and then you're done, yeah. but you got to be on, you got to be doing that stuff all the time. Because I think in Sailor's case, what we found is, is difficult to navigate is that she has ADHD from me 
and she gets a bit of anxiety from Grant. So she's got both of those things that, you know, that we we both have to be extra vigilant, you know, with um with how we help her manage that. And it's like holding a mirror up in front of yourself, isn't you, it? You can't avoid it. Yeah. You can't avoid it. So you deal with it. Yeah. When I started this campaign and I was doing it because I lost a friend, I actually think, and I've said the whole way along, that you were talking about wisdom that you learn. This has been an actual journey of me going through emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual stuff as well. And everything that you're saying there, I learned from each person that I, I talk to. And when he was talking about all the stuff that you've gone through, how deep have you had to go on your own journey? Because that negative self-talk is huge, especially when it comes to social media, comparing, competing, and judging. What certain tools did you use to get yourself out of that? A lot of, yeah, a bit of therapy. Yeah. To be honest, uh, some counseling, I've done various forms of alternate, um, therapies as well. I, I did, I found a lot of results in kinesiology. Um, you know, I just, I found a, a trauma specialist and kinesiologist. So who can help? Cause the problem is there's a lot, there's a lot of trauma stuck in you that you didn't know was there, right? Whether it be something that happened to you as a kid and it doesn't need to be a massive trauma either. It could be some, maybe you tried something out as a kid and you got a negative response from an adult. Therefore you now make that a black and white rule in your life. Well, if I do this, bad things happen. Okay. So I needed to go back and figure out what are some of those triggers that are occurring in my life now that make me feel bad and where did they come from? So a kinesiologist kind of helped track some of those. So you discovered, um, you know, some of the, you know, for instance, I'll give you an example. I had a really bad response to my bosses, not if, if they, if they didn't, if they, if, if they didn't speak positively to me, it was a crisis in my mind and it, and I would instantly go to, well, fuck them. They're not with me. I'm going to have to do this on my own. You know, it's, it's me against the world. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. I was, it was me versus the world and it was such an instant trigger and it only, I had to go back through my life and try and figure out where did that start? You know, and it was simply when, you know, I had a dream as a 14 year old to be a race car driver. Um, and my parents did not see that dream. And in fact, they actively tried to block that dream. And that's when I decided as a 14 year old, fuck this, they're against me. No one's going to help me. If I'm going to live this dream, then I have to build this dream. And so those kind of triggers, you know, and there's hundreds of those in all of us. Um, you just have to sometimes go back, reset some of those triggers so they don't affect you moving forward in your life. And kinesiology was, and Dr. Matthew Burke was, was, was one of those ways that I, I found, you know, enormous amount of great gains. I've never looked backwards in my life. I've only ever been a forward focusing guy. What's the next goal? What's the next trophy? What's the next television show? What's the next slap record? You know, what's the next little bit of dopamine I can get, you know, from my Instagram feed. I've had to turn my vision completely the other way. And I've gone further forward in my life because I'm looking backwards and I'm sort of mending all those little bridges and doing those little audits and, and trying to fix some of those traumas that I didn't realize were plaguing my life. Yeah. Cheryl, I did, with the entertainment industry, with any industry, these things that we're talking about, these hard conversations, these trigger points and traumas, if no one's ever asked you, what I've learned is a huge and hard industry and people aren't ready for it at times. 
with you guys being in and around that industry for such a long time, what advice, again, from personal experience, would you give to anybody who, especially our kids are looking at these social media highlight reels, they want to go viral, they may get on TV or reality. Would you suggest that maybe if they are getting trigger points, that they sort these out before going into such an industry where everything's highlighted? I'd say, firstly, don't go into the industry. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I would say to my kids, and I say it all the time. I mean, I have a a love, I've always loved TV, always, but it's changed so much now. And there's things that I really dislike about social media, which – you know, I hate that whole um, showing the highlights reel of your, you know, of your life. And so I often have this strange dance where I try to show, you know, the realness and and, and the rawness. But then I slip up sometimes, you know, and, and you, you can't help it. Something good will happen and you'll, you'll want to put it out there. But I think it it's much easier for us old people who have been around for a long time to put, you know, to put what you see into perspective. Um, If you're coming up through the ranks and you're looking at what you see online and, and dreaming that, you know, you could have this fantastic career where you're a viral sensation, you're famous, you, you know, you're worth millions of dollars. You've got, you know, fast jets and it's not realistic and the people who do get to those points they have to you know they which is very rare they have to sacrifice more than what i think most people realize so a lot of the people who i've ever met that um that do make it to those levels i would not ever aspire to live like those because they're lonely and most of them are very depressed and they don't want you to see that um and so i guess my advice to anybody coming up through the ranks is Always do what you love, not what you think you should be doing or not what you think everybody else, you know, needs you to be. Just recently we did a bit of a, a search with our daughter um, trying to show to her that things aren't always what they seem um, and we did a search on Grant Denyer Net Worth. Um, yeah. <laughs> Put in any celebrity name and like. Always- and it comes up with their net worth and we – we laughed so hard and we've just actually mentioned it in the last podcast. Like it said, one said $30 million or something, you know, we're worth um, Grant flies a private jet to work. <laughs> you know, we work from home at the moment, so we don't even know. We, I have no job <laughs> uh, and we have a ton of debt. <laughs> we, we live on a farm, like we drive a tractor. It just, we eat our own eggs for survival. <laughs> it was like it was listed, uh, you know, uh, it looked like an official. It, it looked did. official as. And the scary thing is that it wasn't just one website that had that information. You know, there was others where they had backstories created, and none of it was factual. Wow. And yet, you, and there would be people who would look up. You know, they they'd look up, and I know that they look up to Grant and I. But say they look up to Grant and they think I want to be a television host on TV. Okay, well, how much does he earn? What? You know, let, let's try and put it into perspective because when they're young, that's what they think, you know, life is all about. That's the measure it's of Money success. and being famous, okay? And and I hear it from all my, you know, my my kids' friends now. They, they all want to be on YouTube because they all want to live that lifestyle. And it's not reality. And it's 
really scary because at some point these big dreams, you know, that people have, when they realize that it's not reality or maybe they get kind of like a bit, you know, messed up and a bit lost in the whole translation, they're going to fall. They're going to find, you know, that, that, yeah, I just think that when reality catches up with them, um, it's it's going to be scary. Well, see, and- everyone can be famous now. Like this, this is where you know you started this off saying people like us, anyone can be famous now. Like we are, we are in an industry, but it's it's if you've got a YouTube account, you could be bigger than me easily overnight. That's that's no dramas. If you could be successful on on Instagram and have you know t- tons and tons and tons of followers, um, it, it's not exclusive to the, anyone in the entertainment industry anymore. And that's what scares me is because. If you go, I want to go into the entertainment industry, you sort of adopt, you know, some certain rules and you, there's some exceptions you make. But now our daughters could be enormous just by just making funny videos on Instagram, yet they're more exposed to the negativity of popularity and fame and comments and, and trolls and, and they, yet they're, they're underdeveloped in mm. that. They don't have a thick skin. They, they don't have a coat of armor or they're not made of Teflon where everything slides off um, because they haven't made the choice to go into the game like we have. So it's, it's, I think it's a di- way more difficult period now for, for kids than it is for us, you know, in the industry. You know? And they're all fighting to be, to one up each other. Yeah. And... There's a race to be louder, bolder, be more daring, say more controversial things. So. It's... And they don't understand. I don't think the long-term, you know, the long-term fallout sometimes with, you know, exposing yourself online. It's, you know, it's there forever. Yeah. I I recently had this amazing guy on. It was called Taylor Holder and he blew up on TikTok. Billions of followers, viewers. He lived in this thing called Hype House. I'm not cool enough. I'm old. So I didn't know what it was. He explained it. And basically it's these TikTokers that get hundreds of thousands of dollars, all this, that, and the other. And then apparently something went down, went through cancel culture and basically everyone just turned on him and his mental health, just incredible mm. episode, but it just shows you that our kids think that. And someone always once said to me, he said, think about it. Like if someone dropped a million dollars on you for IPC, would you be ready? I was like, I think so. And they was like, would you know how to make it sustainable? Would you know how to this, this, and this? And at the time I'd have gone, probably not. So you're not mm. ready. So if fame suddenly dropped on you, would you be ready? And all these kids are going, yes. And then he basically turned around and said, so what if you went viral for the wrong reasons, if you've not got a support system? I was like, wow. It's just we don't think about it that way. So I suppose with everything you've both gone through, one of my my main questions I ask everybody is, what does imperfectly perfect mean to you? That's Grant and I, imperfectly perfect. That's pretty much (laughs) (laughs) because he was always such a perfectionist and I was always, you know, just uh, I was always imperfect, but I was okay with that. Um, It's a really good question. It just means warts and all. It means you're loved for your faults as much as you are your successes, and it's all part of the rich tapestry of of becoming who you are. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think. It means that there's no such thing as perfect. No. And that's, and that's, you know, you know, I watched my daughter go, well, do I really want to go in long jump? You know, what if I'm no good at it? You go, darling, just have a go. 
you know, the courage to, to, to have a go and, and fail will give you the greatest experiences of your life. If, and I'm guilty of this, if you will only attempt things in which you are going to be amazing at, then you are blind to the thousands of incredible opportunities that could flood in from the sides that you never expected. Like that's the good stuff. Like just because your eyes are on one thing doesn't mean that should be the only thing you ever do. And, you know, I, I wish my daughter, and I hope hopefully she does, has the courage to explore and experiment and try things, even if you're going to be hopeless at it, because that's where the gems are in life. That's where the universe will surprise you the most. Don't have the blinkers on. Yeah, imperfectly perfect. is. It says to me, just, you know, be yourself. It is. I've led it through this whole campaign and look where it's gone. And people go, how did you do it? And I'm like, by my bloody imperfections. I just <laughs> straight ahead. I'm like, now it's got you guys on, some of the biggest names in the world. And they're like, how did you connect? And I was like, messaging on Instagram. And there's like, what, that actually works? I'm like, well, you never know if you don't try it, do you? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's right. Yeah. Just- yeah. So I just want to say thank you again four years ago for taking a chance on this guy that nobody knew. Um, for making a difference because it did show me the first time the power of imagery that can save lives. So, yeah, on behalf of me, on behalf of the Imperfectly Perfect campaign, thank you so much, guys. Well, pleasure, mate. Like, I, to be honest, I felt like I was part of the problem. I, I felt like I was the one who's pushing positivity so hard that, that is unrealistic in this life and this world. And I, I felt bad for doing that to people. I didn't feel like I could fix that. I could see that you had the solution to help fix that. So it was a privilege to be a part of that. So I feel like I've unwritten some past wrongs just by being involved in this, mate. So thank you for the opportunity. You are welcome. And where can people find out more about you and what's coming up? New season of the podcast out or what's next? Yeah. Well, we only realized yesterday when we were recording that we just keep rolling over seasons. I don't know why we have such short seasons. So it sounds impressive. <laughs> season was six. A, oh my god! It was actually <laughs> an episode. I think one of you. I think it was you, Grant. And you was like, "Is it a season? Is it a series?" And when somebody came onto IPC, that was like, "What season you want?" I was like, "Seasons." I was like, "I do one every single week." I was, I was like, "Yeah." yeah. It was like you can have a break, like... you know. I'm like. Why? <laughs> I know. Well, I don't, it was quite annoying because we, we we should have just done it that way. Well, we didn't think it was going to last very long, so we thought let's no, count true. the episodes. Yeah, and now we keep getting confused. We don't know where we're at. But uh, you can find um, the It's All True podcast uh, with Grant and Shezzy Denya where you find um, your all your podcasts. Yep. Do you think we get better at saying and <laughs> plugging know, our we're own We're really good at plugging ourselves, are we? <laughs> we're on social media. We're... Um, We've got websites, but we couldn't tell you what the URLs are because we haven't <laughs> we haven't updated them for forever. I'll get you to send them to me, and I'll post them when the episode comes out. <laughs> oh no, we just we're just thrilled to be able to you know finally connect on uh, on your podcast because we're you know we we're so impressed with what you've done mm, and. You can't believe it's been four years. I mean, it, it feels like you've been pushing this for fourteen years. Just. Uh, it, it must, be your <laughs> it must be your full-time gig. How do no, you have time is, to be This outside? is the thing. Like, I actually, I don't know if you ever knew, I left my career in fitness when I gave it a go and I jumped in construction to make it happen. So I was working 12 hours a day, six days a week, getting home, spending time with a wife and kids. Then I was learning how to do PR, marketing, networking, sending messages to you guys, everyone else. 
And it started rolling. But I was doing that for two years and everyone's like, oh, you've got this big team. I was like, yeah, me, myself and I. And that's, I've lived IPC where people think on an external, you know, all these celebrities. And I always say to people, I've kind of seen it from everyone's angle. So I've emptied my pockets at time. And someone mm. said to me, you realize what's happening? You've been shown how you can help those people. And on the flip side, I started seeing people come to me going, Glenn, can you connect me with Grant? Can you connect me with, can you do this? Can you do that? And I was like, who wants to know Glenn for Glenn? Yeah. So, and then someone said to me, you know what's happening? Now you're seeing it from everyone else's side that they don't. And it's I was how you guys go through an industry like that is one of the hardest things. And I said, never wanted to be a part of it, but it would make me go even further. Mm. Because it messes your head up, like mentally, emotionally, all that kind of stuff. And you have to have a strong support network around you. And that's, yeah, IPC on an external has has continued blowing up. I'm grateful behind the scenes. It has never been easy, but it's made me who I am today. So I'm grateful for it. You learn lessons, don't you? Yeah, but you do. Keep up the good fight, mate. Yeah. Thank you you very much. Yeah, what you're doing is remarkable. And I still remember getting a message from you where you recorded a voice message to reply to me and you're on a treadmill and <laughs> I was so same. impressed. Still the same. <laughs> <laughs> because like you were not laughing. And when you were talking, you were like, oh, I'm on a treadmill running. And I could hear the <laughs> And I was thinking, oh, my God, this guy is fit as. Because if I got on a treadmill and I was trying to record my voice. <laughs> <laughs> It would be. Is she on a treadmill or is she she doing adult duties here? And then you'd hear like, boom, as I fell off. So, kudos to you. Yeah, remarkable. It's my time. It's it's how I got in touch with people, voice notes. I'm like, if people are going to hear who I am, they need to hear my voice because you guys get approached all the time. So, yeah, again, thank you for everything you guys are doing and thank you for your advocacy and sharing stuff when it comes out. You always have done. Thank you, guys. Until next time. Thank you. I just want everybody to remember, keep having the hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that save lives. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.